This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome back psychologist Dr. Kara Goodwin. Dr. Kara is founder of Parenting Translator, which translates recent scientific research into information that is helpful, relevant, and accurate for parents and caregivers. She previously appeared on episode 155 to discuss baby temperament. Today, she is here to talk about something that so many of you out there deal with, information overload. We are mothering in a world with conflicting information and never-ending opinions right at our fingertips. I hear from moms all the time who feel paralyzed by decisions. They find themselves researching every choice, falling into the rabbit hole, and searching for all the right answers. But the more we search for answers, the more we often find ourselves overwhelmed and lacking confidence in our choices. Today, Dr. Kara and I discuss what information overload is and how it impacts moms. We also talk about how to cut through the noise and find quality sources you can trust, how to recognize and avoid sensationalized journalism or polarizing extremes, and how to tune into your own values, set boundaries around research, and build confidence in your own decision-making as a parent. But before jumping in, let's hear our MomWell review of the week. It's titled Life Changing. This podcast is everything. It has been extremely difficult for me to put into words how I'm feeling. Erica and all of her amazing speakers have brought so much light to everything I've been dealing with. I feel empowered, validated, and like it's okay to ask for help. I know I'm not alone in this. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this incredible podcast. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for taking the time to leave this review. I absolutely love hearing about the impact that this podcast is having on each of you out there. I'm so happy that you feel empowered and validated, and especially that you know and feel that it's okay to ask for help. I wish I would have understood that earlier on in my motherhood journey, and I'm glad that that is the message that's really coming through on the show. If you're out there listening and the show has helped you to overcome an obstacle, feel less alone, or understand what you're going through, please consider leaving a review. I read every one and take the feedback to heart when choosing upcoming guests and topics. Now, let's hear my conversation with psychologist Dr. Kara Goodwin. When I became a mom, I was shocked to discover how much I worried. I thought that if I just made it to the finish line of a safe delivery that my anxiety would lessen but it only escalated. Everything seemed potentially scary or dangerous. Intrusive thoughts crept into my mind and I worried about safety, schedules, feeding, and sleep, overanalyzing every decision, obsessed with making all of the right choices. I stayed up at night to check if my baby was breathing. When he was fussy and crying, I felt panic. And I felt like I had to research every gadget and go down the research rabbit hole before making a choice. Looking back, it's so clear to me that I, like so many of you, was struggling with anxiety without even realizing it. Anxiety is one of the most commonly overlooked and misunderstood challenges moms experience in pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. Becoming a mom comes with new worries, but if those worries are creating distress, affecting your daily life, or making you feel unlike yourself, You might be struggling with a level of anxiety that goes beyond new mom worry. Anxiety as a mom can make us doubt ourselves, rob us of our confidence, our sense of safety, and our enjoyment in motherhood. But motherhood doesn't have to be that way. We can learn tools and skills to help us navigate anxiety, manage our symptoms, and reclaim peace and joy. That's why I created a course called Managing Postpartum Anxiety, building a toolbox for overcoming anxiety in the postpartum and beyond. In this course, we cover the causes and symptoms of postpartum anxiety, what intrusive thoughts are and how to move past them, how anxiety shows up in the mind and body, lifestyle changes to help reduce symptoms of anxiety, how to identify thought traps and reframe negative thinking, grounding and mindfulness strategies to reduce anxiety in the moment, and how to reclaim a sense of safety, confidence, and peace. I've also created a workbook with practical exercises to help you put everything you learn into action. Each module is broken out into digestible lessons that you can work through at your own pace. Head to momwell.com anxiety to register. That's momwell.com anxiety. 
Welcome to the MomWell Podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Kara, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. So excited to have you back. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I feel especially honored because you have a little newborn, right? How yes. old are they? How's how's the adjustment to? This is your fourth, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so this is my fourth baby and she is two months old now. And fortunately, things are going pretty well. So I'm feeling like ready to, you know, slowly work my way back into doing things. So yeah, yeah I'm oh so goodness. happy to be here. Like you are a saint. I have the three kids and they were so close together. And I think about adding a fourth. Well, now they're a bit older. They, you know, to have more hands, it'd be a little bit different, but it takes me back to the the chaos. But I mean, amazing, amazing that you are like running your platform and your business with four kids. It's, it's incredible. I'm like in awe of how you're doing it, honestly. Well, I love doing this work. And fortunately, my work is very well aligned with being a parent in the day-to-day life. Yeah. So it makes it easy. Funny story. So after we had you on last time, I found your book on my bookshelf. I've had your book about hitting and I've been reading it to my kids for years. I was like, wait a minute, this is her book. We have all like all kinds of body safety books and all of the books. So we're not here to talk about that today, but I love your hands are not for hitting book and and the resources that you provide and excited to have you here today to talk about overwhelm and information overload. I saw you release a post on a new study that had come out. And this is such a big topic in our community. I feel like also, if we step back more broadly in the world at large, like what is information that we can even trust? Like are things factual? Are they not? There's just a lot of misinformation and questioning of information these days as well. But yeah, maybe we dive in with a bit of a summary of the paper that sparked our conversation today. Yeah. Yes. So I saw this study come out in the past few months and I just thought it was so relevant to what all of us parents face. You know, even after having my fourth child, I'm like, do you still experience when you're stuck in a tough parenting moment, this feeling of just, there's so much information out there and how do you figure it out? How do you sift through it? So this study was really interesting. So they looked at something called information overload, It's the tipping point of when you have so much information that it goes from being helpful to overwhelming and stressful. Mm. And I think we all have like experienced that tipping point. And what they found was so interesting. So they found that parents who had less parenting self-efficacy, which just means parenting confidence. So the parents who were less confident showed this pattern of increasingly looking for more and more information online. But the really interesting thing is they found that the more they searched for information, the more they read, it didn't actually increase their confidence. Hmm. So it wasn't really helping this problem of a lack of confidence. And for a lot of parents, it was leading to information overload. And the parents who experienced information overload from all this researching actually showed that their confidence decreased. So Hmm. this says that, you know, there really is a thing as too much information And interestingly, these parents also who were experiencing information overload just kept searching and searching and searching. And so it becomes this vicious cycle, you know, where you're feeling like you're not confident about something. So you search for more information. And then, you know, when you are confused or feeling like overwhelmed by this information, then you keep searching. 
it makes you less confident, which makes you keep searching. And like, it's just this terrible cycle you can get in as a parent mm-hmm. where you're not solving the problem. You're actually making the problem a little bit worse. Yeah. It really reminds me of a pattern that I call out in a new postpartum anxiety course that I released where we are searching for certainty or something that's going to tell us that we are for sure right or on the right path. And so I find that we get in this over-researching or down the Google spiral, especially when we've got postpartum anxiety, but I think even beyond that sort of more broadly as a new parent. And as you're going down that spiral, you've got all types of information that you're being exposed to, right? And I found as a new parent going through that, like, oh, is this going to cause nipple confusion? Is it not? Is it going to do this or that? I actually just came across more and more conflicting information that just served to increase my anxiety. And it's so tricky because what is woven into this overload information overload that you're talking about is like confidence in our decision making because as a new parent, there's nothing that you feel more sort of unsturdy in, right? Like you are learning the role as you go. You're looking for some sort of guide or manual or something to confirm you're headed in the right direction. And then you get swallowed up by all of this conflicting advice online. And it is incredibly overwhelming, especially when you're new to this and don't really feel like you know what you're doing. Yes, that's so true. You know, there's a study that looked at parenting books and found that for parenting books related to babies and found that about half suggest, you know, you must do sleep training. And then the other half say you cannot do sleep training. It's like, what are parents supposed to do? You know, and I would imagine if you looked at websites, you would find the same kind of pattern. It's like, what are parents supposed to do when literally half the information we have says you must do this. And the other half says you must never do this you know, there's just so much conflicting information out there and it's impossible to not feel confused and to feel like no matter what you do, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Because information has levels of quality in my mind, right? Like we've got like research and academic papers. We've got websites that are reviewing this research, like like platforms like yours that are digesting it and translating it, conveying it to parents. We've got blogs, we've got forums where People are just sort of sharing their opinions back and forth with each other. So I imagine that where we consult for this information plays a role. It's not just an assumption on my part because I feel like if we're in like forums, everyone has an opinion. Everyone has something they think we should do versus if we're seeking out more evidence-based sources. Yeah. So the study that we're talking about also looked at, you know, the quality of the website that parents were looking at. This is conducted in Sweden. So Sweden has a lot of governmental websites that have a lot of really good information. So they found that the people that were looking at the governmental websites versus the non-governmental websites were less likely to experience information overload. So this suggests Mm. that if you can find sources that are higher quality, stuff that you can trust, then you're more likely to be able to avoid this information overload and less likely to experience that hit to your confidence when you're just reading all this information that may or may not be accurate and is maybe in some ways designed to make you feel more shame. Mm. You know, I found being in the parenting social media world, very unfortunately, that a lot of people will try to create shame in parents to then be like, and, but if you buy my e-course, you know, Mm, you mm -hmm. will don't have to worry about this. And so I think it's very important to recognize, you know, what is the source of this information and how does it make you feel as a parent? You know, if it's making you feel worse, then that is likely not a good source of information for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's been a real shift in I feel like the locus of control or like where we feel like the expertise lies in parenting, we've shifted towards information, external experts and opinions. And when we see all of this expertise sitting us outside of ourselves, we don't feel like we know how to make the right decisions, right? Like we have to consult the pediatrician. We have to consult the speech and language therapist that we have to have this Rolodex of experts to make some of these decisions sometimes. And it really erodes our trust and ability in our own 
like decision-making and guidance for our children. And this is a pattern that I feel like I see a lot with people. Lack of confidence, I think the self-efficacy, not having this confidence in our decisions also plays a role. But I do feel like there's something here where it's eroding trust in ourselves. Yes, I think it's so important for parents to know that, you know, there are experts out there that you can consult with, but that at the end of the day, you know, what I always say to parents is you are the expert on your child. Like I can say all I want, like the research says, blah, blah, blah. This is what I would do with my own kids as a psychologist, but I don't know your child, you know? So Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is right according to, you know, my experience as a psychologist or my reading of the research may be totally wrong for your individual child. Mm-hmm. There are just so many individual differences that it's so important for parents to remember, you know, this might be what the research says, this might be what the experts say, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily what's right for your child. So, mm-hmm. you know, truly believing in your heart that you are the expert on your child and what is right for your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we spoke about this last time with temperament and different types of children that we have or different personalities or, you know, whether they're more persistent or independent or maybe want to be near us more and these different temperaments and behaviors that play out. And then it makes me think about, so I have neurodivergent children, I am neurodivergent, and then I see a lot of different social media platforms and pages, a lot of them parenting, a lot of them not like credentialed or licensed, you know, therapists or people in the field. Some are, but also feeling like I'm going through this and like, this doesn't apply to me and my kid. Like this is not how our family works or how our home functions. And it can create a lot of shame feeling like there's all of this information or guidance out there. And when we try it or it doesn't work for us as mothers and as women, we've kind of societally gone inward, you know, normally we go like, oh, I must be flawed. I must not be doing it right. Rather than questioning, like maybe this parenting approach or style, or maybe this person's experience and and their child's temperament is different than mine. Like we don't tend to question the system or the things externally. We often go inwards and blame ourselves. And social media right now is like, There's all kinds of different parenting advice, like camps of parenting, I feel like that can be kind of polarizing and divisive at times. I just feel like there is no shortage of it. And so it's to find your inner compass as a parent right now is a difficult and intentional job because there's so much that wants your attention. There's so much or like so many opinions out there that finding your values and tuning into your values as a family and as a parent and letting those guide you would be your compass is like a survival mechanism. Like you have to, or you just get pulled in every single direction. Yes, I totally agree. You know, I think parenting in this age of social media is so hard because there's so much out there and from the outside, you know, on their social media highlight reel, it looks like every other parent is doing it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And we can't help but feel like failures because we see all this out there, you know, saying, if you just do it this way, like your child will never have a tantrum. And it's like, well, my child's having a lot of tantrums, so I must be wrong. You know, I must Mm -hmm. be doing this wrong. So I think it's so important for us to step back and remember that, all this information we're getting from social media, from blogs that, you know, they don't understand what our day-to-day life is like. And it may not even be working for them specifically what they're saying. You know, they might Mm. just be trying to sell a product or, you know, trying to convince you of something. And, and it's just so important to check in with yourself and think about what you want as a parent. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. 
They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family, choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. Some other inflammatory sort of headlines I've seen going around lately, and I saw, I read it at Substack and went through your page about it, is this four hours of screen time a day something headline that came out? I feel like it was the talk of Instagram and TikTok for weeks, like the impacts of screen time and recommendations around this, I feel like, again, is one of those topics that is like really polarizing online. Yes. Is there any maybe high level takeaways from this study that you want to maybe speak to or address? Yeah. So the headlines for this study were all saying, you know, screen time causes developmental delays. And we still don't really have any evidence that screen time actually causes developmental delays. So Hmm. in this study, they looked at, you know, families that do four or more hours of screen time per day with an infant versus families that don't. And there are a lot of other differences with a family that does four or more hours of screen time with an infant. Hmm. And those, you know, there are a lot of differences with those families, you know, for example, like parenting stress, if you're really stressed, you're likely to put your child in front of a screen and it's also likely to impact your parenting skills. So just remembering that there are associations between screen time and developmental delays, but we don't know that screen time actually causes these developmental delays. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you should put your child in front of a screen for four hours a day. You know, we all know that real life interactions are how children learn best rather than screen time. So, you know, I think that the answer is usually somewhere in the middle of like these these extremes that you see out there. So it's not that screen time doesn't matter and you should do it as much as you want. And it's not that screen time is ruining your child's brain. You know, it's somewhere in the middle. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. try not to go crazy with the screen time and have a lot of quality real life interactions. But if you need to put on a screen you know, for your own sanity, then do it because that is what's best for your child in that moment. Mm -hmm. That's really what I encounter most in my community. It's like, oh my goodness, I just needed a break. Or they were so whiny and clingy during me trying to make dinner that if I just put on a show, I can do this in peace and I'm not losing my temper as a result because they're watching Bluey and I can get dinner done, right? And seeing screen time as a tool that we use intentionally in the home, and I'm thinking like more older children that are going to maybe sit and watch an episode of Bluey or however, is just a part of parenting in this era. I feel like, you know, technology and screens are integrated into everything. And 
Not all screen time is equal value. So understanding its place in your home and and you and your partner having that discussion if you're partnered and figuring out what the guidelines and rules will be within your home around that. But that it's a tool and it's not, I get this real vibe sometimes, like screen time is the devil. And it's like, I don't know how you're going to avoid screens in in yeah. life, right? Like they're integrated into the classroom. I was so surprised when my kids started school. They get iPad time. They have smart yes. screen boards at school. They get computer time in the library. Like screens are going to be a part of their life. And I feel like with anything else, that if we are overly restrictive, it kind of can have the like opposite effect too, where they just all they focus on is screen time. I don't know, like when we talk about food or certain things with intuitive eating, like having and incorporating certain things so that it's there and it's just a part of it and they're sort of exposed to it helps us have a just healthier relationship with rather than being so focused on. Tends to be how we talk about it with the community here because there's just so much shame and guilt, I feel like, around screens with parents and how to set those limits. Yes, and I feel like A lot of this comes from the information we're getting online because, you know, a lot of the information online has, especially on social media, has to be extreme in order to get Mm. attention. So, you know, the posts that are more extreme or more inflammatory, there was one recently that a post that said, you know, cocoa melon is like baby cocaine. It's like, that's going to get a lot of attention because that's like a really inflammatory statement. And, you know, if I'm doing a post that says, screen time in moderation is okay. You know, something that's not as sexy, right? Like it's not as like clickbaity. Yeah. Yeah, Nobody's going to really look at that post. It's just like, okay, whatever. But you know, so it's like these inflammatory statements that are getting all this attention. And then that's what's going to come up on your social media feed. That's what's going to be the first thing that pops up on your Google search. So just remembering that, you know, online people are trying to say extreme statements because Mm. they know that's what gets the most attention. So just, you know, being aware of that and trying to find the sources that you think do talk about these issues in a way that's more balanced and maybe not as inflammatory and trying to find those sources online and in your own, you know, real life that help you to have a more balanced approach to making these parenting decisions. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we're experiencing this information overload or the conflicting information, and it is sort of pouring gasoline on the anxiety or uncertainty versus reassuring us, I think, in the way that we're hoping that it will, we lose that trust and that confidence. And so in what you're saying there, I wonder the role that media literacy plays in helping us rebuild or reclaim our confidence. Because if I can step back and sort of critically evaluate what the real goal of this piece of information is, I might be able to see through it a little bit differently rather than just like adopt it as truth for myself. Yes. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. You know, it's important for parents to look for who is writing this, what are their Mm -hmm. credentials. If they're citing research, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will say research says, but then they don't actually cite the research. Mm. Or, you know, even if they do cite the research, sometimes you go to the research and it's like, that's not what it says at all. Mm. And so making sure, you know, they are not just talking about research, but actually properly describing and citing the research. So you might have to go to the original source and try to also, you know, limit the number of sources that you are looking at because anyone's going to be overwhelmed with too many, you know, websites, apps, books, whatever. So try to limit those sources to like the sources you're, you know, searching out for information for, for the ones that you really trust. And you know that these are ones that not only are accurate, but also like, don't make me feel bad every time Mm. I look at them. Um, Mm -hmm. So like really paying attention to how you feel before and after looking at these different sources. And even if it is accurate, it might be like, creating shame in you and making you feel bad. So making sure that you're paying attention to how it's making you feel. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals, high in protein for a great start to the day. 
Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com slash momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, I think boundaries with ourselves and our research is a really big piece. I talk about this with uh, my moms who are going through postpartum anxiety because we can get down the rabbit or even neurodivergent moms who might hyperfixate. Like we can get real down the rabbit hole on a topic and the more paralyzing it can become, as you said, right? Like the more overwhelmed or the more information actually doesn't really, we just get more kind of frozen and stuck. And so I like to set a timer, like maybe I'm going to allow myself to research this topic that I need to make a decision on for the next 15 minutes or however, and then I'm going to make a decision and move on. And I'll make the decision with the information that I have, and then I can adjust and manage that as I go because, you know, as the kids grow or as we try things, we get new information of what works and what doesn't. And it's not a set in stone decision usually anyways, like we're always kind of pivoting and adjusting as we have more information. So not every decision that we have to make is so high stakes that it requires this volume of time and research. And when we do make a decision, most often it's not like a set in stone, rigid situation. Like we can always reevaluate when we are in it whether this approach or this, you know, product or this philosophy is working for us or isn't. I don't know. And I say that to like flex our thinking a little bit because I think we get so like white knuckled, like in this moment, how much this matters. Like it feels so high stakes in the moment. And as somebody who had postpartum anxiety, like I can so relate to that feeling. Like it feels so high stakes. But in a couple days, weeks, months from now, like I don't even know half the decisions that I was stressing about when my children were, you know, newborns or little, can't even recall what they were now. And it was probably over like what bottle nipple was not going to mess them up for life. Like, I don't know. It was probably something, you know, so I think boundaries play such a big role here as well. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. You know, I have an example from my own postpartum experience. So my baby has been very sleepy, which sounds like a great problem, but it actually is bad for feeding. So Mm. I had a lot of trouble waking her up to breastfeed. And, you know, I had one of those new mom thoughts of, wait, something must be wrong with her that's making her so sleepy, you know, that popped into my head. And I was about to Google it. And then I was like, do not do that. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. you know what's going to happen when I Google, why is my baby so sleepy? I'm going to be convinced that it's a heart problem or a neurological, but something really serious. So I, I'm like, I'm not going to allow myself to Google it. I'm going to make an appointment with my pediatrician. I'm going to go in. I'm not going to even consult with anybody else because this will send me down a spiral of worry, right? Yeah. So I'm like, as I went to the pediatrician, she you know, did an exam and was like, there's nothing wrong with her. Some babies are just more sleepy. And she's going to grow out of it. And that was, you know, what I needed to hear. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now that she is getting old, she is growing out of it. You know, it was just 
having patience and trusting, you know, kind of also a little bit of like just sitting in the uncertainty of like, you know, we were struggling a lot with breastfeeding and I'm like, I don't know if it's going to get better. And you kind of have to sit in that and be like, it may not get better. I may not be able to exclusively breastfeed. And I mean, I think that's really, really hard. I mean, I struggle with sitting in the uncertainty too, but I think just, you know, a lot of these, especially early issues get worked out with time and you kind of just have to trust yourself and trust that everything's going to be okay. And just be a little bit patient for figuring out, you know, how are we going to figure out all these different issues that come up? Hmm. Yeah, I have such a hard time pulling apart the over-researching and overwhelm information overload from postpartum anxiety, especially in the new postpartum, early postpartum time, because we know that intrusive thoughts are like through the roof during this time. Yeah. Like our brain is just so fixated on keeping baby safe, right? We know that our hormones are adjusting, we're feeding, we are trying to establish a lot of rhythms and and things we're not sleeping, like all of this is a recipe for anxiety, right? And so with an intrusive thought popping up or like if they slept through a feed and it's like, oh my gosh, are they okay? And we get really worked up. If we pull open that phone, that anxiety gets in the driver's seat and takes over and that thing becomes urgent and an emergency. It's all you can think about. It's all you can focus on. And like anxiety full force becomes the wheel here. And So like, I like that you consulted your pediatrician and you followed through, like you gave that to yourself to follow up on your hunch, but you also put limits and boundaries on it that you didn't get to do it like immediately in the moment you had to work through and practice the skills to reassure yourself until you got to that appointment that this isn't an emergency. Like I can see her. She's okay. We're doing okay. This isn't an urgent care or ER situation, but I do want to consult the pediatrician about it. Like that is such a great way to honor that concern that you had while also not just getting down that rabbit hole of panic and fear and anxiety. It's so hard to do though. It's so hard. Yes. And I will say, you know, this is my fourth time postpartum. So I'm like, the first yeah. time I would have probably just gone down the rabbit hole of anxiety. So for sure. It's yeah. me a long time to figure it out and to you know, have that confidence that everything's going to be okay. And even this fourth time, you know, I had many panic moments of, you know, is breastfeeding going to work out? Is she going to start gaining weight? Like, you know, it's not that you're ever reach a point as a parent where you feel so confident and you're like, I got this, you know, Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. parent worries that's part of the job. Yeah. And I think that knowing about things like intrusive thoughts, knowing some coping skills and tools to identify that this is anxiety kind of knocking at the door or trying to get in. Like I still will have intrusive thoughts now of my boys. (laughs) Like like, I want to let them, you know, climb a tree to a safe height. What is actually safe? I don't know. One foot off the ground is probably enough for me. I don't want to go to emerge today, but I also have to give them some freedom to live a little. So those intrusive thoughts I think can continue with us throughout our journey, although in less intensity and frequency, probably than early postpartum, because that is just such a high stress time, but having the tools to manage or just knowing what we're working with. Because I think that it's so convincing to have a hunch, I think. And I talk about this in my postpartum anxiety course, actually, where the thing that kicks off the over-researching or the drive to go to Google, often that intrusive thought or that hunch can get confused with maternal instinct. Like, oh, something's telling me that something is wrong in this situation. And then we'll go to Google to search and see what it is. When it's actually maybe an intrusive thought or anxiety, I think that those two can get very confused or lumped together because maybe we don't know anxiety. Maybe we've never had it before or didn't know like how to name it because it's never been clearly defined or whatever for us in our life, right? So it's a confusing time. There's just so much going on in our body and in our brain but I do think that there are skills or, or certainly therapists as well who are niched down in this space to be able to help support moms and parents through this because it is a confusing time. It's a wild time, honestly. Yes. Yeah. I've read research saying that, you know, 90% of parents 
have intrusive thoughts. Like this is just something that happened. You know, I would guess the percentage is actually higher. Some people Mm. are just not reporting it, but it's so common to have intrusive thoughts. And, you know, I think just labeling it as such, you know, my big one that I always have is falling down the stairs, holding the baby. And Mm -hmm. I picture it when I'm walking down the stairs and it's very upsetting. Yeah, of course. And if I label it as up, there's that intrusive thought, you know, it takes away a lot of the distress from the thought. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be so helpful for parents who are wondering like, okay, is this an intrusive thought or is there actually like something here to, you know, talk about it with a trusted person who maybe isn't experiencing the same, you know, hormonal changes that you're experiencing. And, you know, whether it's your partner or a friend or one of your parents, you know, just talking about like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. You know, I'm worried because of X, Y, Z that my baby, there's something wrong and like bounce it off them or bounce it off your pediatrician. You know, do you think there's something here? Mm -hmm. I think just consulting with somebody else can like, rather than just like letting that thought spin around in your head can take a lot of the power away from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's making me really step back for a moment and take this little journey with me for a second. Cause we're talking about information overload and how it erodes our trust in ourselves, and talking about building confidence. I think if we can even step back before we go to research or before we go to, you know, Dr. Google and get down the rabbit hole to ask ourselves what we're searching for. So I had Dr. Becky on and we were talking about soothing our kids' anxiety and returning to school and separating And she was saying, you need to know when your child's question is actually a question or when it is reassurance seeking or when it is actually they need more information or are they dysregulated and this is anxiety. And I think the same is true because what we've been talking about often is we go to information for reassurance that we're on the right path. Sometimes we go just to be informed and for education. I think there's a lot of different motivations why we go to Google to seek out information. We're a new parent. We're learning. There's a lot of different motivations. But I think that if we got in the habit of maybe just asking ourselves before, you know, like you're talking about that moment that came, nope, I'm not going to Google. Like, what is it that I need right now? And what am I trying to accomplish? Because sometimes it's so desperately looking for reassurance or approval in the decisions that we're making. And that falls in this postpartum anxiety bucket. And I'm talking about this a lot because this is a big topic of our community. But then other times it might be sincerely like, where are the credible educational resources that I can look to for this informational decision that I want to weigh out? And I don't know, there's probably a lot of other reasons as well that I'm not factoring in right now. But knowing what we're going for or what we're seeking out from the beginning or just maybe checking ourselves for a moment, I think could allow us to set that boundary then with ourselves. Like, is this what I need right now? And, or should I put a timer or should I speak to the pediatrician instead of Google and things like that? Yes. Yes. I think you're definitely right that, you know, checking in with yourself before you do this kind of online searching is so helpful. You know, I think The research that we're discussing really suggests that when it's coming from a place of you are lacking confidence. So if you're feeling insecure in yourself about something as a parent, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's I'm not really handling this problem very well, or, you know, I'm worried that I'm doing something wrong, you know, when it's coming from that lack of confidence, that's when you're more likely to experience this information overload and for your confidence to then take a further hit. So making sure Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you're coming from the place of confidence that, you know, I know what's best for my child. I want to consult, you know, some trusted resources to either back up this decision that I've already made or to understand my different options, but coming from a place of like, but at the end of the day, I know what's best. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. And I appreciate that a lot when it comes to building our confidence. Was there anything else as we think about wrapping up for the moms and parents that are listening who maybe are searching for that confidence? Or is there any other place that maybe they should start or any other tips that came out of that article? Yeah. You know, I think we know from other research on parenting confidence that having confidence is 
so important as a parent. And I think a lot of new parents or, you know, parents who are more insecure might be like, okay, well, where do I get the confidence from? Mm. You know, I think it's, if you are a new parent, like it's hard to have confidence because you haven't done this yet, but just making sure that, you know, you are really focusing on what you've done right as a parent, even if you haven't been doing this for very long, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than focusing on, I'm so clueless. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you know, you can even write it out, like make a list of what you've done right as a parent and have your partner or somebody in your life kind of back you up and, you know, tell you things that you're doing right or tell you, you know, you're a good parent because of X, Y, Z. And, you know, also like avoiding comparing yourself to another parent because that can really hit your confidence. Mm-hmm. And if you are feeling guilty about something or feeling like you're not good enough, just think about what you would tell a friend. You know, if I was like going down a shame spiral postpartum, cause I'm like, I'm not exclusively breastfeeding my baby. Think of mm-hmm. what you would tell a friend who was saying, I'm a bad mother. Cause I'm not exclusively breastfeeding. I would of course be like, no, you are feeding your baby. You're doing what's right for them. And even if I'm feeling that guilt myself, if I had a friend going through that, I would advise them that they're doing the best they're doing. So think about how, what you would tell a friend in that situation. There's a really interesting study that found that when researchers watched parents with their kids and regardless of what they did, they told them at the end, you did such a great job. You're a great parent. And those parents then Mm -hmm. actually, after they got that feedback, showed better parenting skills and their child's behavior improved. So Hmm. just having confidence is so key as a parent. So making sure you're giving yourself that confidence, you're surrounding yourself by people who are helping to build up your confidence. I think that is just so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned that often the inner critic in our own mind is the one that is giving us such a hard time, right? So being able to look back and see, actually, when I was faced with an uncertain situation here, I I didn't handle it perfectly, but I found my way through it and we survived it. And just having that grace with ourselves to see that we have coped, we've been resilient, we've adapted, we've figured it out. And it may have felt messy or been clunky as being a novice or new in a new role, like often feels, but we managed our way through it and just giving ourselves that pep talk or having that compassionate self-talk through finding our legs in this role or through the adjustments to adding a sibling when things are different can go such a long way because we're often our own coach in our mind. And what kind of coach are we being? Are we being super critical and hard on ourselves or are we giving ourselves grace and reassurance that we'll figure it out along the way. Yes, exactly. That's so true. Just like being really careful about how you're speaking to yourself is so important. Thank you so much for taking the time for fitting us in, in the momming and platform running organization running you're doing. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Where can people find more, sign up for your emails, newsletters, learn from you? Yeah. So my website is parentingtranslator.org and I have a lot of great free resources for parents about all different topics and the research that, you know, I think is an accurate source of information Mm -hmm. for parents if they're looking for it online. And I also have a newsletter, which is parentingtranslator.substack.com. And I also have a podcast where I have interviews about different parenting topics and read some of the research out loud if you prefer the audio version. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that balanced approach that you bring, like weighing both sides so that ultimately parents can take the information for what it is and make their own decisions. So appreciate the work you do. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Ever since this conversation with Dr. Kara, I've been thinking back to my early days in the throes of postpartum anxiety. I remember feeling like I had no idea what I was doing and that everything posed a potential threat to my baby. I distinctly remember frantically searching for information on nipple confusion Desperate to help my baby sleep, but terrified to give him a pacifier and derail breastfeeding. And I ended up more unsure than I was when I started. Looking back on it, I wish that I could just tell myself to take a deep breath and stay away from Google. 
So much of what felt high stakes or potentially devastating in the moment, I can't even remember or recall now. Whether you're dealing with anxiety or just normal mom worry, I want you to know that you are not alone. And it makes sense that you want to find the answers. And of course you want the best information possible. And it makes sense that you were looking for something, anything to make you feel more certain or that you're doing it right. But it's also important to remember that not all information is equal. There are conflicting opinions. There are studies that aren't actually scientific or peer reviewed. There are blog posts written by people who claim to be experts that don't actually have any license or credentials. There is misinformation designed to sell you something. And there's also real data and real expertise that simply may just not apply to you and your child. I love research. I love data. And I would never tell you that you shouldn't take in any information online. But we need a way to take in that data responsibly and use our values and our individual situation and circumstances to make choices for our family. This is what leads us to the right decision for us. And this is also what builds our confidence. If this episode resonated with you, make sure to visit episode 106 on discovering your values with Dr. Cassidy Freitas to help you build that internal compass. Along with episode 182 on making right decisions with New York Times bestselling author, Emily Oster. And if you found this episode helpful, please take a moment to leave a review or send me a DM to let me know. I would love to hear what you connect with and what you want more of in the future. And finally, if you're struggling with some of these things, decision-making, information overload, anxiety, working with a mom therapist can help. Book a free 15-minute virtual consultation with one of our mom therapists today. Head to momwell.com slash booking. That's momwell.com slash booking. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by bestselling author, OB-GYN Dr. Jen Gunter to discuss all things period, PMS, PMDD, the ways that our cycle impacts us both physically and emotionally. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the MomWell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to MomWell.